Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. guest for today has always had an active imagination. Ever since he was a boy, he didn't aspire to be a fireman or a police officer to catch bad guys or save someone from a blazing inferno as his classmates did. Instead, Ethan Cross dreamed of writing about it. And his dream of telling stories on a grand scale came to fruition with the release of his first novel, The Shepherd, which went on to become an international bestseller, published in several countries and languages. Ethan followed this up with more titles, including The Prophet, The Judas Game, Spectrum, and more. In addition to writing and working in the publishing industry, Ethan has also served as the chief technology officer for a national franchise, recorded albums and opened for national recording artists as lead singer and guitar player in a musical group, and he has been active and involved with the International Thriller Writers Organization. Ethan, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Now, first of all, congrats on your newest, uh, I understand your most recent book is called The Taker, and this is the last uh, book in a series that you've been writing, the sixth and final one. Uh, it is, yeah. The The Taker is the final book in the, my Shepherd series, uh, but actually some of the characters from the Shepherd series are going to continue on. So, oh, Okay, great, um, yeah. So one of one of the fan favorite characters is actually uh, who started as honestly in the in the first book he started as the villain he was the the antagonist in the first book and then by the the sixth book well I mean I guess that kind of says something right there by the sixth book he's getting his own spinoff series um, where he's the where he's the 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 main guy um, which has been which was interesting I'm actually um, um, just by the way that the publishing schedules work out, I'm actually farther ahead um, in Germany. They're, they're a book ahead. Um, and so they, they've got the new one out. I'm actually working on the third book in the, the new spinoff series. Ah, how about and, that? And, and so it's been interesting uh, seeing him, taking him off in the, uh, a different direction because just, just a little without getting too in depth in what the series is about. It's the, the shepherd series deals with these two brothers. Um, one is, uh, the, the mother got away from the father when she was still pregnant. And so he doesn't even know he has a brother, but he goes on to become a, a homicide detective. And, um, the other brother is a famous serial killer. And so they, they connect through the books and, and, you know, uh, you know, just kind of grow together and have these. Uh, as I said, he's he, he, the villain in the first book, and then um, still kind of an antagonist in the second book. But but his role is changing, and then by the third book, he's reluctantly accepted as as um, that they need him uh, for that specific case. And then 
then the next book goes a little further. They use him in a prison where he's undercover in a prison. And so it, it's this kind of gradual process of him becoming like changing from, yeah, from uh, the antagonist. And so, so, um, that's just a little, a little background of that. So during those books, he, he's working with his brother who is a detective who is, a you know, um, so, so they kind of play out, you know, you, you know where they're going to go. You know, okay, here's how he would think about this. Here's how he would approach it. Then in this spinoff series, I kind of got into that and he's, he's a, a serial murderer. You know, he's a very, he's a, he's a brilliant serial murderer, but when he's the one actually in charge of what they're doing, like when he's, you know, he's not alone, but he's, he's the one saying, oh, here's what we're going to go investigate. And which is totally different. You know, his, his mindset and the way that he, but this is kind of what I discovered once I got into it and started writing the book was, oh, this character's not going to do anything like a cop would do it. You know, he's going to do everything in his own way, and he's yeah. going to look at cases like, you know, um, and so it just kind of ch- really changed the dynamic um, for this new series a little bit. But uh, so anyway, that's a, that's a little kind of a long-winded uh, uh, explanation of of where where that that series is and and kind of where it's going to be going in the future. And uh, so that's a little bit of a preview for, for U.S. audiences. As I said, the, the German audience, which is uh, big for me, has already uh, already got that first book uh, in December that came out. And then the uh, next one comes out in February there. That's great. Now, so tell us a little bit about this idea of transformation with your character. You said he started off as the villain early on and has now become sort of um, like an anti-hero or hero in, in some of this, uh, this new series. What, what led you in that direction? Was it, as you wrote, did you start to see there was more complexity to this character? Did you sort of say, oh, I'm, plan- I'm planning on having him transform you know, throughout the series? Or what led you to that decision to actually have this character fundamentally change in this way? Uh, I mean, it's honestly, it, it, you know, I've heard writers talk about um, characters taking on a life of their own. And, and, and I always thought that was silly, you know, that, <laughs> you, you know, like you know, a character, can't, you know, it's, you're writing it. It's a character does what you want it to. And, and yes, that's true. Obviously they're not, you know, they're not writing their own stories and telling you what to do and all this, but um this character especially uh he he started out and he was um as i said the villain and i i actually in the first book the an early draft of of the shepherd and this isn't the way that it, it ends up being but it was supposed to be that there was this vigilante organization who had actually killed him and so he was going to be dead he would be introduced <laughs> a little bit and then you would find him and he would be dead and so he was supposed to die then. Then he was supposed to die later on in the book. And then he was, and then the book got rewritten to where he was basically this character 
started taking on a life of its own and, you know, editors that, uh, that I talked to, um, over the, after that book. And then the, in the second book, the second book was, uh, you know, about 500 pages long and they wanted more Ackerman scenes, more of this character. Hmm. And, and I said, you know, I mean, like the book is already 500 pages long at this point. It's just, you know, there's nothing I'm going to put him in there that's going to connect to the plot. You know, it would just be gratuitous. So, yeah. so I'm like, okay, but, but this was a clear indication that obviously this character needs to be getting some more screen time. And so then in the third book, it really became um, him. The, the, the father is the one that, uh, that comes back in the third book. And so they have to work together to take, take down their, their father. Um, so yeah, the, the yeah. father, so a, a little bit of background on, on that. The, the father was a, uh, this crazy guy who he wanted to basically create the perfect killer. He wanted to, you know, he, he was interested in, uh, uh, he was a psychologist and interested in the mind and uh, just how far he could push someone. And so, and he used his son as a guinea pig. And so, and one of the biggest things that he did to him was he actually performed uh, surgery on his brain to damage his amygdala. Hmm. Uh, and the amygdala is what controls our sense of fear. So one of the biggest things that about that character um, is that he is literally fearless. You know, he, he's not, he's not capable of fear. And so he's, you know, which informs a lot about what he does and what he says and, and, and who he is. Um, but so the idea of transformation, it really came about as I was working with him, where I had tried to create a character that was, um, you know, very much more than one dimensional who was this, this kind of deep character that, that you really, you know, almost felt sorry for. Um, and yet he was so terrible. That, that was kind of my, my goal with, with the shepherd yeah. and with, uh, and with that was to create this character that you, you hated. And yet you still at, on some level cared about him. You know, you, you still, in, in fact, I, one of the best, compliments I, I got with the third book was someone had uh and an editor had read it and and commented to me that they were they felt bad at one point this other agent is being really hard on him and 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 they felt like like they were like sticking up for him in their head you know thinking you know why are you being so hard and then they had to take a step back and go oh yeah this is he's not a nice guy you know he's a He's a really bad guy, uh, but he's, you know, over the course of this, he's, he, he really has, um, I mean, really become to where he's almost, I mean, he's an anti-hero, but he, he also has this real strict code. Now. Yeah. Um, so, so he, he also, sometimes he, sometimes he will do less than what, what a, um, your normal hero would, and sometimes he will do more. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I was interested to circle back to something you'd mentioned earlier about, you know, some authors will say, well, this character seemed to take on a life of his own, 
And at first you were uh, maybe skeptical of this view or this processor or whatever, but you seem to kind of warm up to it as you wrote this. Tell us a little bit more. I'm just curious uh, because I find that's true with my writing. There are certain characters who, as I write, I'm like, this character really wants more screen time or page time or whatever. And they're like arguing in my head, no, write me into the story more, write me into the story more. But to people who aren't authors, that might sound very strange. Right. It, it is. that then, then it becomes this idea of the, the characters are, are coming to life and becoming real people in your head and telling you what to do. And, and, and in a way, it is that. But it, it's not in the way that, you, you know, like some crazy, you know, it, it's telling me to put on a dress and whatever, you know. It, it's, it's, it's that idea of, uh, that character sometimes, and I think that especially shows when you're writing something and, and you get out of character, you know, when, when you do something that the character wouldn't do and then it feels wrong and the character almost tells you like, this isn't right. Yeah. You know, this isn't, this isn't what I would do here. Um, and, yeah, and no, then, that's that's, you know, yeah. And I feel like that authenticity uh, and the honesty to write the character um, in an authentic way is huge. Like, one of the things I've noticed as I've read people's work over the years um, is that there are certain moments where I'm like, this feels super honest. And then there are some times where I'm like, I don't buy it. This, I don't buy it. This doesn't feel honest to what the character would say or do or think. And those are the books I usually set down, like... I really like the ones, regardless of what genre they're in, where everything feels honest and authentic. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of that, at least, you know, I can only, of course, speak from my own perspective, but for me, I feel like the, the places where, where, that, where my writing has been most authentic is where maybe I've taken an emotion of my own and when you can really find a situation from your own life and draw from that experience, and it, and it might, you know, be something that's different, you know, but it's still that same emotion. It's still that yeah. same, you know, feeling. And when you can bring that in, I, and, and, and it's cathartic, you know, in a lot of ways. I, I know there was, there was one scene in particular that, that springs to mind for me in, uh, uh, it was the fifth book, I think, in the Shepherd series, and these two brothers are—they're—they're uh, they're a, a team, and they're—they're they're arguing, and just the argument that they have—it it, was—there there was the someone in my life who, you know, I was never going to be able to have that kind of argument with, hmm. and so it was really kind of that, you know where if you allow yourself to really be honest and to let go a little bit and, and to, you know, well, I love the way that Lee child says it. it the, my very first thriller fest, I go in there and I have a, a, a craft fest with Lee child uh-huh. and his, the, I think it was the first thing he said. He said, the key to writing is to slit your wrist and to bleed onto the page. <laughs> And and I remember just being like, wow, that was, you know, just that really just that blew me away of of, of uh, uh, 
I guess how I was kind of feeling about things. And then, but then right after that, I went to Steve Berry, who, who was, uh, who was also just such a great writing teacher, but he is very regimented. You know, he, he has a lot of rules for writing. He has a lot of, you know, things like that. So it was, it was actually really cool the way I think it was like one right after another, when I went to my very first craft fest yeah. and where, where I had this, this one guy saying, you know, there are no rules, you know, just be honest and bleed onto the page. And one guy saying, you can't have more than five point of view characters, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so we, uh, that, that was a, a great uh, kind of dichotomy, but, but, and, and they're both right in a way, you know, it's, it's, which is one of the cool things about stories and, and writing is that they're in a lot of, ways there is no wrong you know it's just uh whether you're yeah, telling I mean, something certainly new are, and fresh you know, yeah different approaches some people do feel very regimented in the way that they approach writing and the structure of their stories and so on others um it's much more organic and i think we've talked in the past actually about our approach is probably different. I tend to write very organically, and at least maybe it was a couple of years ago when we touched base, and you were you were kind of giving me a hard time saying, "Yeah, Steve, I don't know about that outline." Has has that changed at all as you've continued to write over the years, or are you still in that more regimented outlining kind of uh, phase of go, uh, approaching the stories that you write? Uh, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. Uh, I mean, over the course of I mean, I'm, I'm working on my 13th book now. Um, and so, so I, I think over the course of those, I've tried just about everything. You know, I've written a whole book by hand. Yeah. And, and you know, and things like that. And, and so I just, just like things like where I'm like, okay, it, what, what really gets things going? And some of that is just that it, you know, breaks the monotony, monotony for me. And, and it's something different, you know, I've tried different approaches, but, but as I went through, you know, I started with, uh, like with my second book, The Prophet, I believe I had a 170-page outline <laughs> for that book. That's a substantial and, outline. Yeah. And, and so, and then the next one I think was similar, but I started, I started loosening up on it. And then really, I don't know what I would call, um, my approach now, uh-huh. I guess you would call it hy- uh, hybrid. Um, but w- typically, what I do is I will have the I I'll know typically where the story's going. You know, uh-huh. I know where I want to go, and I know you know some of the things that I kind of want to happen and some of the places I want to visit and you know things like that. But then I'll just go. Um, a little bit at a time. So I'll, I'll maybe, I'll maybe jot down some notes. Um, that'll be like the next few chapters and then I'll do those chapters. And then, um, I, I, which I guess, I guess back in the, the thing with outlining is when you're starting out and you, you don't want to write, you know, of course I'm, you know, we both write full time now, so it's not like we have other things going on. 
but back when you were, if you can look way back, uh, when, when was it for you? Like, when, when did you go full time? Like, well, I was, you know, I was writing nonfiction books for a while. Then my first novel did come out in about 2007 or so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, but before that, you know, if you were, whatever you were doing, just a regular job, and then trying to write, you know, for when you wrote your first nonfiction book, um, you know, doing that along along with everything, um, you, you definitely don't want to have to rewrite a bunch. You know, you don't want to have to, you know, my first, my first book, I rewrote the whole thing several times. Cause I, you know, when I wrote the, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and then I, then I learned some and then rewrote it again and then worked with an editor and, you know, went through that whole process and, and learned a lot about, uh, um, you know, kind of some of the, the unwritten rules, uh, if you will. Which one of those? I'm real interested now. You just picked my, uh, oh, oh, well. picked my interest. Uh, so tell me about an unwritten uh, rule or two. I, I like an unwritten rule. This would this is one that actually uh, for me would be a pet peeve, uh-huh. um, and because a lot of writers do this, and it's not it's, I, it's not a rule. I shouldn't say it's a rule because it's not a rule. A lot of yeah. writers do it, but it's head head hopping. And okay, sure. for for me, I I want everything that goes on in a chapter to be from that point of view character's mm-hmm. point of view. You know, I don't want I, I'm never going to jump into another character's head. And there was uh, I remember with the first book, there were a lot of things that that you don't realize you're doing. Like it's not as blatant as then he thought blah 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 blah. But it's like even sometimes the the words that you use. Yeah. Um, and I can't think of an example with it now, but like the verbs that you would use or something implied like that you were putting out knowledge that that this character didn't have. Sure. And so there, there were yeah. just like yeah. a lot of like little subtle nuances that, you know, that you, you just have to kind of learn as you go along. You know, they don't teach you stuff like that in the English class. So, or maybe they do, but I <laughs> Who knows, a lot right? of that. Yeah. So, um, uh, well, what so, what, so, so yeah, there was the unwritten rules, but that, there was another question in there somewhere. I, we, uh, I don't remember exactly yeah. what we were chatting about. You just grabbed my interest when you said unwritten rule. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. know. I want to know. But, but, um, <laughs> but one thing I was just thinking of is uh, I've known you for years now, probably since your first time at Thriller Fest or part of the International Thriller Writers. Uh, and um, and so you're a real soft-spoken guy, very kind-hearted, yet you write these super dark serial murder stories. Where does that come from? <laughs> you know, I I always tell, you know, my wife gets it. I think she gets a kick out of saying, like, you know, oh, you know, I live in the same house with him and, uh-huh. you know, this kind of thing. But... Uh, you know, I always say, well, first of all, I, I write the bad guys or the good guys too. You know, I, I'm not just the bad guys, but with the the serial killers and some of that things, I I like to look at it from from more a uh, standpoint of not like, oh, here's what I would do to a person, or here's what you know, mm-hmm. this kind of thick, twisted whatever. You know, you I look at it from the other side and go, well, what would be the what would be the scariest thing? to happen to me, to me 
uh-huh. you know, what would be, what would be terrifying <clears throat> if, if I were to be kidnapped and this done to me or this, you know, or, or I witnessed this or what, you know, whatever the case may be, you know? And so you, when, when you look at it from that standpoint, then it's just, you, you figure out what would be the scariest situation. Then you have a guy that's going to do that. Now, does that ever um, affect you, you know, emotionally yourself, or do you do you are you able to distance yourself from sort of the thoughts that some of these darker characters might have? Um, does it does it affect you emotionally and personally like that, or, or not so much? Um, no, no, not not so much. Um, I, I I know that when I first really started trying to get into the characters, you know, uh-huh. um, I probably let it myself get, get deeper than, than what I do now. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think the thing, the biggest thing is that when you look at them, like, I don't, I don't look at any of them. And, and this, as, as you know, we're both, uh, Christians. So from a Christian standpoint, I don't look at them as like this broken, you know, beyond repair kind of thing. You know, uh-huh. I, I look at, I look at this, this person who is deeply disturbed and has probably went through some terrible, terrible things and has a, you know, a reason why they are the way that they are. And, and they have, you know, if you look at any real serial killer in the world, you know, a lot of them have, families and loved ones and and not all of them are psychopaths you know not all of them are you know a lot of them feel remorse for what they're doing you know a lot of them feel really bad about what they do they just can't you know stop they have this compulsion they have these you know and or or they have you know from whatever has happened to them in their life or from whatever you know brain things uh you know um uh, so it sounds like that really the, gives disorders you where they have hallucinations yeah Oh like, yeah, I mean, or, I think you know those characters. Yeah, and I think that's and, and that's something that I think with Ackerman, um, who has kind of become like the protagonist uh, in in a lot of ways for me. He he has that inherently built in, you know, mm-hmm. where he can't judge these people, you know, and so he doesn't look at them like that. You know what I mean? And, and his brother, it's kind of forces the other characters to look at them differently. And, and so I, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's, um, it's probably really good for you, uh, you know, to be able to look at these characters, have empathy toward them, also to shape them and to, uh, to dive in and understand from their perspective. It sounds like, you've developed the ability to do that, you know, over the years. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's, that's one of the things too, that I find with, um, outlining versus, uh, being more organic is, is a lot of times when you sit down, you don't really know the characters, Yeah, you know, if you, you, you really haven't got to know them yet. And so, it's hard to predict in the outline. And what I was kept finding is that I would, 
I would be outlining things and then I would change. You know, sure. I would get, I would get to that point and then it would never, you know, I'd never reach that. And yeah. so, um, it, it just became where I, 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 I love the analogy that, uh, that Neil Gaiman made, um, about it writing that writing is like driving through the fog with one headlight, you know, and you can only see just what's right in front of you, yeah. but you just got to keep, you just got to keep like going and just seeing what's right in front of you, but staying on the road and keeping pushing forward. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people and, and that's, really do, you know, the outlines, they, um, they find that just as you did, I was just going to say that just as you did, they find that the actual story ends up veering in different directions. And so finally they're like, I'm just going to trust the story instead of this preconceived outline that I had beforehand. Well, and what that, that reminds me what we were before we got off on a tangent there, what I was going to say about out, what I was going to say about outlines is that when, when I was starting out, I took that outline and then gave it to my editor. And so I knew I wasn't going to have, to, I wasn't going to write that and then go back and have to rewrite it. And I was, you know, it gave me that sense of a, a safety net, hmm. you know, that's that sense of, um, they already know what I'm going to, you know, it's not like I'm doing this and they have no idea what I'm going, yeah. what they're going to get. And, you know, cause of course I'm, I, I'm a nobody, you know, I'm just, just starting out. And so I wanted that sense of, okay, what I'm, where I'm going with this story and what I'm doing is on par with what my publisher wants. No, that, um, yeah, that sounds smart and, to do, you know? And, and yeah, and then, but then as things progressed, I guess I just got to a point where I'm like, okay. And I, I do, what I do still do is I send in, um, I usually send in a portion of the book. So uh-huh. like, you know, the, when when the first hundred pages is done, I'll send that to the editor hmm. and say, you know, and they can look at that and and then they can make make comments and and so forth. So that way, if there's anything, if if there's anything that uh, that they see, then you know that can affect where the story goes. Yeah. Now, one of the things you're known for you know, with the stories that you've written as suspense. I was wondering if you've come up with some sort of secrets to creating suspense that, um, that you might have developed over the years or techniques that other writers who are listening might say, you know, I could use that actually in the story that I'm working on. Hmm. Creating suspense. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the, the big... Uh, just kind of off, off the you know, top of my head here, I, I think one of the big things with that is the unanswered questions. Hmm. Um, and I think that um, Lee Child is a great one for this. Um, basically, it's just where you, you create a question of what is this? What is happening here? What is this place? What is this town? What is, you know, and then the whole and then they have to answer that. And so those, those kind of, and of course you can do like lots of little unanswered questions. 
throughout. But I think that's a big thing for um, from a suspense standpoint is is to keep people like to where they always are kind of wanting to know. Uh, and then your your quote that I remember from you is to uh, give them what they expect or something better. <laughs> if, I, if I remember if I remember that correctly. So so. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you you kind of have to that that unanswered question can really be a big um, something that that can create a lot of suspense. Um, and this is a little little bit off the, the suspense thing, but uh, a, another big thing that comes to mind is micro tension. Um, okay, so what's micro tension in your in your view? Um, well, just just having. Always being, you know, the characters are at odds with mm-hmm. something or or each other, or you know, there's all you never have characters basically that are just riding in the in the car and they're all happy and they, oh, how's your day? <laughs> oh, it was great and it was blah blah blah, and then, and they're just taught, you know, even if it's a scene where it's just a husband and wife riding in a car, you're going to have, why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why did you know? You're going to have some tension between the two of those, and I think that's that's something that uh, a lot of beginning that I certainly didn't understand, and a lot yeah. of beginning writers don't understand is is that it's like you don't always have to have a guy with a shotgun shooting somebody, but you always have to have some kind of tension. You always have to have like people wanting to see what happens next and wanting to, you know, there, there always has to be that driving force. And you can do that with that, with that micro tension, you know, in some of those, in some of those areas where maybe your plot, your overall plot is, is in a lull, but you can really create a lot of micro tension, you know, over a character, you know, the dispute between two characters and this kind of tension between the two of them. And then, you know, so that kind of carries that lull through, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm writing a new book on writing right now, and uh, one of the things that I've really been looking at is, simple, is similar to what you just described, I, uh, different terms and so on, but, but like when you have two characters in a scene, instead of giving them something to explain, give them something to overcome. And that simple change in perspective, you know what I mean? Like when you're doing dialogue or conversation or whatever, very often we're like, okay, I need to get them to explain something. No, try to get them to overcome something. Or mm. use like... Um, Use dialogue as a chance to spar, not to get along. And all of those things do what you were just explaining with the microtension, you know, idea um, that, uh, that that's what uh, will lead us to, you know, deeper into the story and, um, and uh, flipping pages toward the end. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's, that's the name of the game. That's, you know, you, you want readers to keep turning the pages and absolutely and anything that take anything that takes them out of the story and and brings them away from that that's i i just attended the uh uh writer's murder con the writer's police academy oh, okay and uh and uh, uh it was the vir- virtual event this year you know obviously the first first virtual event they've they've done like this but it was last thursday and friday 
And, uh, you know, at any event like that where you have cops talk, they're going to talk about all the things that Hollywood does and, you know, how NCIS violates three federal laws every episode, (laughs) you know, and how all, you know, and and you, you hear all about that. And as I was listening, as they were talking about some of this stuff and tell, and talking about how, oh, they get it wrong and they do this and they do yeah. this. And I was looking at it from, from my standpoint going, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, I want it to be as accurate as possible. But at the same time, if that slows the story down, yeah, you know, you can't, you can't have them wait five months for DNA. I mean, right. you know, it's yeah. just. I mean, if that, I mean, if that works out in your story and you've got this long drawn out story or whatever, but, and, and typically that's not, you know, something like DNA is not going to come into play a lot of times with mine. Cause a lot of times, a lot of times my books will be more, it takes place over the course of like four days or mm-hmm. three days or, you know, it's like real tight and it's, you know, most of the time and pe- they're in danger during that time, you know? And, um, so, you know, nobody's, necessarily taking DNA and sending it off to the lab, but, but it's things like that, that, that the real life, you know, we, we as writers really do have to kind of balance that where, you know, balance that keeping true to what it really is. And that realizing that it is for entertainment, you know, Absolutely, that we're yeah. not, you know, if, if somebody wanted to, to be informed about some of this stuff, they can read a nonfiction book. They're not going to read, you know, but but there it, there is that opportunity to um, to inform with with fiction as well. Uh, you know, on a, on a certain level, on a smaller level. Yeah, no, I think so. And uh, you know, like one example would be paperwork. Like, you know, so much of an FBI agent's job or a cop's job ends up being filling out forms, filling out paperwork. <laughs> yeah, filing filing a report, you know, and, and it's like, if you're writing, um, uh, a suspense novel, you just have to skip over most of that part. And it's like, you know, 90% has to be action and suspense and 10% paperwork, whereas it might be the opposite in real life. So, so I can right. see how, you know, right. cops would be like, Oh, this isn't exactly the way it is. But as a writer, we're like, well, guess what? I've got to tell an engaging, story here and um so i might have to change some things around now i'm i'm more familiar with your series with the serial killer and and um and that kind of storyline but i understand you've written other books as well science thrillers uh yeah i uh, i did uh one called blind justice um and one called spectrum um and they were both I mean, still similar uh, in in you know in the way that uh, you know pace and, uh-huh. and intensity of, of the other ones, but but uh, Blind Justice takes place in the uh, Defense uh, Criminal Investigative Service world, so it's in the um, DCIS, uh, which uh-huh. is over all all of the Defense Department, and uh, there's a investigator who's uh, blind. Uh, Deacon Monroe, who is the the main character in that book, and so it's him and his team, and the it starts out with the the murder of the commandant of the Marine Corps, and so then there's this conspiracy um, that uh, that gets involved in that, uh, and then Spectrum is uh, a book about uh, 
basically this hostage situation at a private bulk company out in Las Vegas, and there's a lot more to it yeah. than that. You know, it kind of ties into a big, uh, this bulk company is a front uh, for something else and and has this uh, character uh, that I introduced is that uh, August Burke, who is uh, on the spectrum, who is on, who is, uh, has autism spectrum mm-hmm. disorder. Uh, and and actually, that was it, it was interesting for me writing that that book. I actually was diagnosed with autism um, during what? that time with as, with Asperger's syndrome. Huh. Um, uh, I I had actually yeah. I, I, as I was doing the research for that book, I really you know everything was resonating and interesting. Uh, you know, the, the interviews with people and and it just everything really kind of. Um, was just coalescing, and so, um, yeah, during the course of that, I, I actually went and got diagnosed, so so it was kind of a, yeah, it was a very kind of surreal um, experience for me, but, but uh, so, so some of that comes across in the book, and some of those, you know, his, his experiences, and his, uh, that's, I, I like, I love to get into the characters and explore the worlds of of people, especially people with that have some sort of disability or have uh, a different challenge. Um, yeah. I mean, like like with uh, which I, I mentioned, blind justice. Um, I really wanted to kind of experience what it was like to be blind and yeah. to, you know, really get into that. And so I did, did a lot of research and went to blind homes and, you know, of course, things like that. But it was also a, a cool challenge as a writer because he, everything that is described, he's a point of view character. Yeah. And everything that is described is described that he is hearing it or he is feeling it. He is, he's not capable of seeing it. Yeah, and so when you yeah, take away that away, it, yeah, it really kind of, I knew it going in, of course, that that was going to be a challenge, but it even was more of a challenge than what, what I expected. There was a book I wrote a couple of years ago, a young adult thriller, um, and I think this was actually in the book called Curse, but anyway, there was a blind girl, a girl who was born blind. And she kind of has these special abilities and so on. But so I contacted um, a young lady who had been born blind, and I said, "What is a nightmare like for you?" I, because I was thinking, you know, in my nightmares, I see things happen, right? Like I see images and so on. And so she said the most terrifying nightmare for her was like bees buzzing around her head that would come and, like, sting her, but she couldn't see them, and she could hear them. So, like, her, she had auditory nightmares, whereas, for me, they're more visual. Um, and so I just Absolutely. found that fascinating and, and really helpful for me to climb into the, uh, you know, the mind of this character who had a different exp- life experience than I did and try to really be honest in the way that I portrayed that, that character. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's actually a conscious choice that I made when doing the book was that I wasn't going, you know, he become blind. He he wasn't born blind. Uh-huh. <clears throat> he become he became blind because of an accident. So he has reference, you know. Oh, he, right. he uh-huh. and, and so yeah, it, it was a lot easier for me to 
to do things when he he knew what things looked like, and he knew, you know, yeah, it would definitely like as you said. There's there's so many things that go in, you know, because you you are looking, looking, you know, perceiving the world in a totally different way. In a d- totally different way. And, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and 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 that's I I love I love exploring things like that. I I think you know oh that's one of the cool things that I've got to do with my my books and and something that I hope other people have found cool as they kind of went on the journey with me is that I've got to explore, um, you know, other cultures, other religions, other, um, you know, the, the taker, the one that, uh, that we mentioned up front, you know, takes place in the Navajo nation. Hmm. And so I got to really, um, just kind of get into that culture and get into, you know, some of the struggles, of, and really, some of the things just oh, just terrible atrocities. You know, with the with the they're they're still their their drinking supply, their, their drinking water out there still contaminated That's from terrible. uranium from the uranium mines that the government never cleaned up. And back in the day, we would take we would go in and the you know we used the uh, Navajo workers to go in and and mine this uranium. And they would go home with uranium dust all over them and throw their clothes into the washer with their oh kids. Oh boy, that's crazy! You know stuff. I mean, this this is how. And so now you're seeing just cancer, and so you know, of course, all the miners are dying. You know, but not even just them; their kids, their and the water supplies are contaminated with this. And it, you know, it's just terrible things that nobody really brings up. You know, nobody's really talks about so so i think that that's a really cool thing as a writer that we get to explore the lives and struggles of of other people and kind of get different perspectives yeah no that's that's valid and also you know to to bring up their struggles and to allow people to see and understand like you have with your research you know what sort of this tragedy and and hopefully, you know, wake people up and open their eyes to these things, to the stories that we tell. Um, which actually brings me to an, another question that I had, and that is a lot of your stories have been really popular in Europe. I know Germany, uh, you're a, a bestseller in Germany, and I think in England you've sold quite a number of books. And and so I was just curious, what is that like to know, okay, so I don't know that you, you probably don't translate your own books into German, but... What is it like for you to know, okay, they're reading this story, and I spent so much time getting the wording right, and the translator might have changed things around in a way, but how does that, how do you look at all of that? Like, the book selling well in another language? It is interesting, and, and it is it's especially interesting from my perspective, because I, I do do really well. I mean, like my, on, their, on the uh their Spiegel list, which would be their New York Times list, you know, my I believe my last book was number two hmm. on wow. on there, and so I mean, it, you know, I I sold done really well over there, and, and yeah, it is kind of that, um, yeah, you, you really don't know, and uh, <laughs> uh, like who who knows, uh, and, and I it was I had I had one uh, thing that happened where they had done they must have done. 
for uh, the audio. They must have kind of abridged oh, uh-huh. the book for the audio version. Yeah. And they cut out this part with a dog. And there was this lady that got so upset, like, that she had read the book. And then her husband listened to the audio version, and she kept talking about this dog. And her husband's like, there's no dog. Who are oh, talking man. about this dog? And... And so they had this thing, and then she goes and listens, and she finds out they took this out of the thing, you know. And I'm like, I got <laughs> control over this. So, but they didn't took, kill the yeah. dog. That's when you really hear from readers. Is like when a dog uh, is right. killed. Yeah, you're oh, like, yeah, that's, oh that's boy. <laughs> yeah, no children and no dogs. Yeah, you, you can't you can't harm anything either one of those. Um, Cats, I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. I've never tried either. to harm a cat, think. but I've, uh, I've harmed you can get away cats and dogs in my books, and it never turns out well with the reader mail that you get from people. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I no, I would never. I that you know that that is it is kind of a funny thing. I would I would never kill a a dog character or an yeah. animal character, but but a person character. Oh yeah, I will. You don't have fair any fair game, of I know it's, it's it's a little weird, but um, so before we close up, uh, just a couple things. First, um, what, do you have any advice for people? Let's say they're aspiring authors, and they're like, you know what? I've heard all this advice from different storytellers and writers, and so on, like this. Do you have any advice or inspiration for them right now? <laughs> just you've been doing this for a number of years. Maybe things have changed a little bit. But what maybe is a lesson that you've picked up that you were never taught, but you're like, you know, this might help sort of the next generation of authors? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, the first thing that came to mind when you said that was the uh, quote from Stephen King was that you have to read a lot and you have to write a lot. Hmm. Um, um, and I think that is, I think so many, I, I've met a lot of authors at conferences and things like that. And, you know, you'll get to talking to them and you'll say, well, what, you know, well, so who are some of your favorite authors or things like that? And they go, oh, well, I don't really read. <laughs> and, I, you know, I always, I, at some point I just want to stop and go, well, why are you an author? Why are you wanting to write books? Why do you yeah. even want to do this if you don't like them? You know, yeah. if you don't read. And, and I think that is, you can learn so much as a writer by just reading and by studying how people did it. Hmm. And then, and then from, from that standpoint, beyond that, I think it's like you, you get uh, feedback from people and then you have to be able to look at your work uh, objectively and learn from, from the mistakes you make there. Hmm. And, you know, and then, because yeah, there, there are so many. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are so many little things that, you know, of course, when, when we all started out, uh, you know, you never went. I, I remember when I was writing before I knew anything when I was writing my first book, I hated the word said. Like, I didn't want to use the word said. I wanted okay. to be more interested. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like of course you would I would still use it you know the word said but uh-huh. but everything I did I wanted it to be more interesting and I wanted it to be and then you find out later on oh well that's actually not what you want to do <laughs> that's actually that actually can be more obtrusive you know what yeah. you're thinking in your head 
is making it sound better and flowery is actually something, it's actually author intrusion, where right. you're taking away from the story and just trying to make the words sound more flowery. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, so there, there are lots of these little things that, that you learn along the way. But I, I think the biggest thing, uh, and, and this is just totally off the top of my head of, sure. of a, a thought, but, but uh, a, a lot of people, I think they struggle with the voice hmm. um, of, of, you know, you really have to, the character, whatever the, whoever that character is, has to have kind of a unique voice. Yeah. And that, that people, people say that about the author having a voice. And, you know, oh, this author has a unique voice. And I, and I, and I know that's obviously true, you know, with, with um, you know, authors who tell a certain type of story and all their, you know, um, you know I, I'm, I think of all the, the hard-boiled detective uh, okay, guys sure. yeah. or, or, you know, or, uh, you know, di- different ones like that. But a lot of that voice, I think, comes from the character. For me when I have that point of view character, I let their voice seep into it. Mm, you know, yeah. I let who that character is seep into the writing and seep into the, you know, the, the choice of words, the, you know, everything. And, and it's almost that you're writing it as if they are the narrator and they're the one writing the story, even though it's from a, maybe from a third person sure. standpoint. And I think a lot of people get this in their head, like, oh, I've got to, I as a writer must create this unique voice. And I think really what it is, is you need to create characters who are unique and have something unique to say and look at the world in a different, in a different way. And, and then that character, when they are describing how they are looking at the world and how they're different, then, then, that unique voice kind of comes out. And I, I think that's, you know, I, I think that's what I try to do with, with characters. But I also like, I don't like anything normal. I like everything to be pretty outlandish. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I don't write stories that are about, you know, two guys that decide they're going to, you know, rob a gas station. It, you know, that's a little, too mundane. Of course, you know, there's lots of cool things that can happen <laughs> with that, but, but, but they all get into the more outlandish things, you know, where you're breaking out of that normal. I, I think there, there are some great writers that, you know, Elmore Leonard comes to mind, you know, who could just take that, the most mundane things and make them interesting mm. like that. But, but me, I, I, I like big, you know, I'm, I always say, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. So, <laughs> Well, I like it, Ethan. So uh, this has been really an interesting conversation, and I appreciate your time. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners that um, here in the States, The Taker is your most uh, recent novel in the series. And um, also overseas, people might be checking out which book would be, um, like in the U.K. or Germany right now, the most recent book over there. Uh, the UK is actually they're releasing an, an omnibus of the, of all six of the books together, and I think they're having the e-books because of COVID. Um, 
it, you know, the whole release schedule has been changed because sure. of that. But because of COVID and people, you know, being at home and stuff and things, they're going to be releasing the eBooks first, but then the the entire series. So okay. the oh, yeah. over in over in the UK, they had the first three books, and then um, I was part of the the Penguin Random House merger, and my editor left, and all that kind of stuff. So. So now we're with a, we've we've got those first three books back and and we're with a different publisher. So yeah, they're all all the, the all of my books are not going to be available over in the UK. So the best place online for people who want to check out your stories and your novels, your books, and so on would be where where should where would you direct them to go? Do you have a website that's um, kind of the yeah, hub they, of everything? Yeah, EthanCross.com. Uh-huh. Uh, is the the best place to go, and of course they can check me out on on all the the social media things, and of course uh, also check out uh, uh, through the website and through social media, and you can find uh, the new podcast we're doing, which Steve is actually um, going to be our newest guest. We just we just got on uh, approved for for iTunes, so. Yeah. We're, All right. Well, yeah, we're great. just starting out. Not not old pros like like Steve, but uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah. Anybody who's listening wants to check out uh, podcast uh, where I interview some authors and talk about movies and stories in general and things. Sure. Um, it's uh, called Cross Examination. So. All right. Good. So Cross Examination, and then EthanCross.com, and we want our listeners to check out your stories. Um, if they've never actually read you before, which story or book would you direct them to to say, this is the best place to start? Would it be with The Shepherd or with your most recent story? Which would you say? Uh, I mean, The the Shepherd, I, I kind of think of them in, in trilogy. So like the, the Shepherd, The Prophet, and then Father of Fear were kind of three a trilogy together oh, okay, and then sure. Judas game and, and then Judas game and only the strong. And, and so, so either with the shepherd or if they wanted to jump a little bit in, you know, the shepherd is going to start them out where, where, you know, right at the very beginning where, where they're the brothers first meeting each other and all this kind of thing. If they wanted to jump in a little bit farther along, the Judas game would be a good kind of jumping in spot. All right. Well, that sounds, that sounds perfect. And, so, Ethan, thank you uh, again for your time, and um, I really appreciated uh, the conversation today. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's an honor. Of course. And so also thanks to all of our listeners, everyone who has tuned in. For more info about our other guests and to check out other broadcasts, you can click to thestoryblender.com or search for us on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts each weekend. And if you want more information about my novels, you can go to stephenjames.net. And all of the information is there about the thrillers that I've written myself. And folks, always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.